Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 80. Peering Under the Hood of Buddhist Media. Melvin McLeod, Editor-in-Chief of the Shambhala Sun and Buddha Dharma Magazines, joins us to share his perspective on the differences and similarities that Buddhist media sources have with more traditional media. This is part one of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks listeners. We're back with another great episode. We think it'll be a great episode. And of course, I'm always with my compadre in the Dharma, Vince Horn. How's it going, Vince? Good. Excellent. And we're also here today with our special guest, Melvin McLeod. He's the editor-in-chief at Shambhala Sun and Buddha Dharma Publications. And if you're a Buddhist geek, you almost certainly know about these two magazines. And he's also the editor of the most recent book, Mindful Politics, and the, also the best Buddhist book series. Each year, there's a, a book compiled with some of the best Buddhist writings. So thank you, Melvin, for joining us today. My pleasure. Great. And today, the main topic we wanted to speak about was Buddhism and media, something that uh, doesn't get spoken about a whole lot, mostly because it would probably come across as kind of self, too self-referenced uh, in, the, in the actual Buddhist media sources. But we're not scared of that. We'll, we're willing to, to be narcissistic and, uh, <laughs> and talk about ourselves and talk about, uh, more importantly, the kind of Buddhist media that, that really gets a large attention in the, uh, in the West, which is magazines like uh, Buddha Dharma, Shambhala and Tricycle, and those sorts of things. So, I guess a good first question is to ask uh, kind of what, what the aim is for the publications that, that you help with and, and uh, what's, I guess, the bigger vision of those kind of things. Well, I guess that we see um, Buddhism in the West uh, still as at a, a very early stage in its development and presume that uh, having now been, you know, effectively uh, started to grow for the say, last 50 years, uh, that it has an infinite future in front of it, or, and uh, that our, our hope is that the publications that we produce will be a part of the development of a genuine uh, Buddhist tradition in the West, uh, one that has a non-ego and a meditation practice at its center, one that is, I suppose I would say, complete, uh, not... That, that represents the full profundity and vastness of the Buddhist enterprise uh, and is not, um, as I think Bob Thurman put it so eloquently, uh, does not become simply a, a way to further perfect uh, Western bourgeois lifestyle. Right. So um, I think that our goal is that our publications could play a role in the development of uh, Dharma in the West that is a genuine and uh, deep and profound. Gotcha. And just, I was just wondering, how did you get involved um, with Shambhala Sun? How did you find your way into this kind of work? Well, I've been a journalist since I graduated from college, which is 
over 30 years now, and I became a Buddhist of sorts <laughs> uh, in my mid-20s, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually became a student of Chögyam Trungpa Rinpoche. So at a certain point, the editorship of the then Vajradhatu Sun, which was the internal publication of, of the community of Trungpa Rinpoche students, uh, became open, and I was here in Halifax working as a correspondent for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and was asked to become the editor and accepted. Nice. And uh, very, very happily, I, I could not think of anything uh, better to do for work than, to, in effect, to, to study and uh, read the Dharma all day long. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it's really cool, too, because you guys have, I mean, created a lot of uh, opportunities for people to do the same. I mean, you said you had, earlier you said you had close to 25 people working there, and that seems like a service in and of itself there. Well, yes. I mean, I think uh, actually a significant number of the people who work here are not Buddhists, but I think that we do our best to have an atmosphere within the office itself, as well as in our publications, that reflects Buddhist values. And I think it's fair to say that the people who work here, both Buddhist and non-Buddhist, appreciate and, and like that. Mm. And so, so digging more deeply into this uh, question of media and how does it impact you know, the, its the listeners or the the readers and the people that engage with it. You know, it's, it's, it's a tricky question here in the West because there's so much criticism uh, of traditional media sources, larger media sources, and the ways that they tend to actually harm people. And I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about, ideally, how Buddhist media is different, and maybe, maybe even not different in some ways, and how that actually shapes the community of practitioners, readers, listeners that engage with it? I guess the first question is, what is it that, what, what kind of ethics, you could say, do we bring to the media business that reflect our uh, Buddhist values and that, that might make uh, a Buddhist publication a more positive contribution than perhaps uh, more other secular publications? Right. Uh, I mean, I suppose uh, the, the the first thing is that we uh, try not to bring a lot of aggression and uh, negativity to our pages and to what we produce. Uh, we try to maintain a, a certain standard of decorum or decency and, uh, in, in our publications and uh, really... Do not descend, nor even, for instance, allow our letters to the editor to descend into the level of personal invective. Always what we're trying to do is to write about contemporary life and the principles of the Dharma and how those principles can be best be brought to bear to, to help ourselves and, and others. And uh, so I guess I would say, I mean, in a way... Obviously, Buddhism offers the most profound critique, or even you could say criticism, of life imaginable uh, in its analysis of, of the role of ego and of the nature of samsara, as well as in its basic doctrine of emptiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there could hardly be a more profound critique of life than to say that neither you nor it exist. <laughs> uh, so in that sense, you could hardly say that it wasn't negative. But we don't wish to descend into personal negativity. And I, I think that um, my definition of, you know, uh, of spiritual issues is very broad. So 
that I consider to be that anything that addresses the broad issues that face humanity, uh, whether they're personal, environmental, political, social, ethical, or psychological, are indeed spiritual questions. And so our basic motivation is always to offer material that would be a positive contribution both to the society as a whole as well as to the personal life as our readers. And that, could, that contribution could be made anywhere within that panoply of important issues that humanity uh, faces. So I guess in a way the, the first answer is that the mainstream media makes a lot of money out of negativity. Basically, everybody... And we do it here, too, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> within the confines of our own conversations. People like to diss other people, and, and, and you can make a lot of money out of dissing other people. Um, and, but we've decided that that's not what we're going to do. So I guess in the face of it, you'd simply say there's a, it's a very conscious decision to simply be positive. At the same time, so that, that you could argue is in a way unconventional, but at the same time, I think the conventions of of media are important and, and they have a lot of integrity and and so at the same time as we have a, uh, a philosophical basis that's alternative and not mainstream we do our best to put that in the context of a publication of high editorial standards of high artistic standards and um, have a view that you could say a high level of craftsmanship is in effect a spiritual value in itself. So that in addition to the ideas that may be presented in our magazines, the hope is that the very quality of their magazines themselves is in effect a contribution as well. Right. So there's there's the artistic dimension to what to what you guys are actually producing and creating, and then there's the actual message that's contained yeah, so I go beyond the artistic side. I mean, I would say a well-written magazine mm-hmm. with good grammar that upholds the standards and elegance of the English language, in addition to the ideas that are being presented, is also a contribution. The craft of the language as well as the art, aside from the ideas that are being presented, mm-hmm. is in effect a contribution in itself. Gotcha. So there's, there's, a, there's a bigger whole that's being created here, it sounds like, and it, it includes many dimensions. I, I, I would hope. <laughs> nice. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, it certainly comes through in your publications. Uh, so saying earlier, I've been a huge fan of, especially Buddha Dharma, because it's so direct and so practitioner-oriented, and, uh, and Shambhala Sun as well. And it seems like uh, another element that you didn't really mention, but uh, you, seem, you guys seem to have a, a real eclectic approach, too, a real blend of different traditions that enters your pages. And I'm wondering why that is. Is it because so many of the people that started it had different backgrounds, or was that just a value that you guys brought to the table? Well, I would have to say that the magazine was not started by people from different backgrounds. Uh, basically, the magazine, as it stands now, was, was indeed had its roots in, in a, one particular community and was indeed the internal publication of that community. Right. And that most of the um, editorial uh, People here uh, are still uh, of the uh, of Kagyu Nyingma school of Tibetan Buddhism, and most strongly within that come from the, the tradition of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who was my first teacher and the uh, teacher of uh, most of the senior editorial people here. Mm-hmm. But 
I, I think that the strength of the, the reason why we do what we do is that the view that he taught, as well as the view of the Kagyu and Nyingma school of Tibetan Buddhism in general, is one that takes a broad and inclusive view of all schools and traditions of Buddhism and has a profound respect for all of the different vehicles and, and national traditions. And I think that I know that our the Chogyam Trungpa personally expressed that in many ways, including the, the many profound ways in which he drew upon the Zen tradition uh, himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that the broad philosophical view that we have is one that, that allows us to to have great respect and to draw upon all of the different schools and traditions of Buddhism. On a more personal level, I, I guess I would say that increasingly over the years that I've been editor of this magazine, I've come to see that for my own practice, that I always am finding valuable, profound, powerful insights in, in the Theravadan tradition, in the Chan tradition, in the Zen tradition, in the Pure Land traditions, in the other Tibetan schools, uh, as well as uh, Western teachers who are combining Buddhist insights with, with uh, various uh, Western intellectual traditions. So uh, I think that what we try to do here is to to choose material within each particular school that is most applicable to to all practitioners of other schools and, and one of the ways to do that is to choose material that, that relates most directly to practice and then slightly to take those teachings out of the particular language of their school in order to create no linguistic barriers so that other Buddhist Buddhists of other traditions will not be able to benefit from them so I think uh, the philosophical view we have is that, that, that all of the Buddhist schools offer profound, genuine dharma, and that our job only is to select the particularly important examples and powerful examples of that, and then to be able to present it in language that could be understood by Buddhists of all traditions. Gotcha. And do you, uh, do you see any downsides to that, that process? No. I don't know how the... Uh, an openness to benefiting from the wisdom of all the great traditions of Buddhism could be in any way problematic. Having said that, of course, I personally believe that it's also important at some point for practitioners to commit themselves to uh, a particular lineage or school, but I personally don't believe that at any point that should close them off to benefiting from the offerings of other traditions as well. Right. So I guess I guess my question was more uh, geared towards uh, what you'd said about uh, the language moving, uh, changing the language around to be accessible. And it sounded like you answered this already, but you guys aren't trying to provide each tradition with a very specific, technical and deep kind of, uh, you know, language around that tradition. You're kind of offering a broader sounds like a broader vision. Yes, I mean each school has its own language and its it, and its own deep and and, and um, study and its own internal language, which actually can be, be difficult for others to to understand. I mean, it's interesting that we have a Buddhist jargon that can make it difficult for for non-Buddhists to understand what we're talking about. But as it turns out, each particular community and school of Buddhism has its own internal language right. that can act as a barrier to other Buddhists really accessing 
the great wisdom of what they're offering. So right. I think we do our best not to create or genericize their language in any way, but to, to translate it and make sure that, that it's understandable. Right, right. And I guess on the other hand, you know, if you, if you get into a community, you, you end up finding, and you get familiar with some of these terms, it can be a barrier. But then once you get familiar with them, it can, it's kind of like a physicist, you know, learning the, the, the different formulas, the language of physics. And then once they're able to speak that language together, it's, it kind of takes the dialogue to this whole new, you know, level um, so I guess I guess both of those seem to be true. Both seem to be That's happening. Absolutely right. I mean, a magazine like Bodhidharma that presents a certain level of language that allows material from each school to be accessible to people of other schools could never substitute for the deep, profound conversations that are going on within each of those schools. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.